0: Good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is December 17th, 2023, and we are on the precipice of the greatest expansion of the gospel in the history of our community. With unprecedented expansion comes unprecedented opposition. With unprecedented opposition comes the call to remain steadfast and steadfastness demands that the Christian continue wholeheartedly in the direction God has called him. Our faith is one that demands forward motion, and we refuse to sit back, fold our hands, and close up our Bibles and wait for Jesus to come back. Saints, you are being armed with the very mysteries of Christ, and this morning, We're going to engage with the Word of God and ask that His Spirit lead us into all truth. And you must handle the truth. You know, it's been said, you can't handle the truth. (laughs) But the truth is you can handle it. And you must handle it. This morning we demand your engagement. Because we are committed to pushing you beyond your current understanding of the Word of God... And we are also committed to building you up in Christ. Now, as we get into the word together,
1: we know by necessity that you're going to need a little bit of review from what's already been presented to you for the purpose of the building block for what God will reveal to us today. So here's your very short and small review. You ready for it? Israel is the bride of Christ. That's not solidified in your soul yet. We promise by the end of this message it will be. The gospel is and always has been for the Jew first. You know this. And only after that expresses the incorporation of the Gentiles through Messiah. The first coming of Christ didn't change this fact. Something magical didn't happen in God's word for the first few thousand years of the existence of this planet and this people well, it didn't just go away in that moment. It, actually, the coming of Christ provided the means necessary for the plan of Adonai to continue and to be able to come to its ultimate goal. The goal being at the culmination of the ages, which is still yet to come. Yeah. Secondly, the foundation of the church is the first fruits of the Israeli bride. A bride that will come in fully at the national salvation of the entire nation of Israel. We Gentiles have a job to do knowing this. Our mysterious inclusion in Christ, the groom, well that means that our job is to work toward ushering in the unification of the bride. That is national Israel. To her groom, that is Jesus the Messiah. Thirdly, The mysterious inclusion of the Gentiles into the church is based upon our revelation and relationship to the Israeli groom as his body. This point, we promise you, is going to become more and more clear as we preach this morning. For now, you need to know that both our inclusion and our job description are dependent on our experience with the Israeli groom, Jesus. In our actions
0: that reflect his desires for his bride, who is national Israel. We want you to understand the privilege and great call of God in our midst based on what you are learning. To illustrate that, we're going to begin together in 2 Peter chapter 3, the last chapter of Peter's recorded writings in all the word of God. It's going to be Second Peter chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 11. If you're turning there in your Bible, say national Israel. This would be a good morning to have your Bibles out, to let yourself physically see in your Bible the scriptures that we're going to share. But we're going to pick up in verse 11 of Second Peter chapter 3. It says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? This is a passage that is exciting to most believers when they read it, and yet no one knows exactly what it means to hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. Yes, us doing His will on earth is a very surface-level answer to that question, being a good Christian. But in reality, how do we as Gentiles actually speed the coming of the Lord? Romans 11.25 answers that question quite well for us. And because we have read it in our last six services, we're not going to turn there this morning, but to give you the connection that you need, the full number of the Gentiles coming in from Romans 11:25 is otherwise stated as the full knowledge, say full knowledge, full knowledge, full knowledge of the Gentiles regarding the plan of God for the groom and his bride, national Israel. This is what activates the process of the softening of the hearts of Israel, the bride of Christ, and speeds the coming of Messiah. The full knowledge of the Gentiles regarding God's plan for Israel, coupled with the faithful work of the Gentiles to bring about this marriage, is what speeds us towards that goal. Let's continue in the second half of verse 11 here together. Because of which, I'm sorry,
1: verse 12. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Listen to this next verse. As he does, meaning Paul, in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. We want you guys to acknowledge Peter's words with, with, uh, together before we continue on. There are some things in the letters of Paul that are hard to understand. Peter, the Jew, is acknowledging this right now in this passage. Many of these letters were even being twisted through ignorance and a misapplication of Scripture. This is the unfortunate truth that has only grown from Peter's day until today. We have no doubt that paramount among these hard-to-understand concepts is the mystery of the Gentiles and their inclusion that Paul wrote about. Now, if Paul was persecuted the way that he was in the first century for these revelations, how much more today? We hope that this mystery is becoming more and more clear to you. And we have spoken much about it already, and we know that it is becoming more clear. And today is going to be no different. You have the privilege of coming into the revelation of these things. Things that even the apostle Peter claimed were hard to understand. You are indeed
0: a blessed group of wild and unnatural branches, aren't you? Wild. Yeah, you are. Let's keep going in verse 17. Are you still with us? You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people And lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Because of the weight and responsibility of being entrusted with revelations as important as these, we're going to make sure that the secure position that you've gained last week is firmly embedded in your souls by setting out for you this morning a linear message. In a linear thought that works through every portion of the Word of God. Now, as we do this, know that our message to you, to, to you today will further solidify Revelation to this point, but also take us deeper into these concepts regarding Christ, His Bride, the Church, and you Gentiles in a way that elucidates these concepts to an even greater extent and sets your feet on even more solid ground.
1: Now, to do this, Let's begin with a slide that comes from the correct end of the funnel. Yeah, One that we have all explored together before. Man, look at this. Exodus 6, 6 through 8. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. This is Exodus 6. The moment when Adonai makes explicit promises to the nation of Israel, his bride. This is wedding language, no doubt, between a groom and a bride. This passage actually forms the basis for every Jewish groom's proposal to his bride-to-be. This morning, you need to be aware that these are modeled for Adonai's example. Another that these are modeled in the Jewish groom's life from Adonai's example. Another critical component of this context that you got to understand. In Israel, the engagement period is not the same as the way that we Gentiles have come to know it and think about it. Now, for a Gentile groom, engagement can be a period of time of testing out his potential bride. You know, Making sure she fits the bill for his life. And if it doesn't work out, well, no harm, no foul. No big deal. Engagement can be called off, and no covenant has been technically broken. In Israel, this is not the case. From the time of the patriarchs forward, the moment of engagement is as binding to the marriage as the wedding night. The moment of engagement. From that point forward, there was no trial period. There was no excuses of just figuring things out. It was set in stone as a binding covenant before God. Now Exodus 6 is the same way. Adonai initiates his covenant with national Israel as his bride. And there is no turning back now. This is an eternally binding moment that will indeed culminate in an ultimate marriage where the two become one and are together forever. Adonai has said it from this point,
0: And it cannot and will not change. Let's put these four cups succinctly on our next slide. His first promise was that I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be with me. After all these years... Of preaching and teaching from Exodus chapter 6. We have finally made a four cup slide for you. Somebody say, "Thank Thank you, Pastor Wade. These four I will statements from Adonai as the groom form promises to his bride to be. Furthermore, the Torah goes on to describe the commitments of the bride to be in response to her groom's character and the certainty of her union together with him. These four promises that Adonai gave to national Israel were like a groom extending a glass of wine to his bride-to-be. National Israel accepted that cup, and the parties involved in that interaction cannot and will not ever be renegotiated or changed. The symbolism of a glass of wine being extended from a Jewish groom to a Jewish bride has some monumental implications since wine is the product of fermented grapes, which grow from a vine. You could say that wine is the product of a fully matured vine that has produced the good fruit that its owner has always desired since its planting. Wine is the product of a fully matured
1: vine that has produced the good fruit that its owner has always desired since it's planting. Now that's going to become very important later. Yeah. Adonai as the groom views his betrothed as a precious vine that will bear fruit and bring life from her body. Listen to how Israel is described in Psalm 80, verse 8. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Who is the vine here, saints? Israel. That's right. The vine is Israel. Now, in case you didn't get that super clearly, we've got another translation to help you out. You brought a vine, Israel, from Egypt. You drove out the Canaanite nations and planted the vine in Canaan. The topic of this psalm is all about the nation of Israel experiencing great difficulty because of her enemies. But Adonai continues to care for her, As he has from the very beginning when he brought her as a vine out of Egypt. And the bride Israel, being sure that her ultimate destiny is restoration, is salvation, and unification with her groom. Now if you're following us this morning, we're laying out a clear path from the beginning of the word to show you that it was national Israel that Adonai proposed to. It was to national Israel that he promised the four cups. It was national Israel
0: that he called a fine vine. Are you following the linear path with us? As we keep moving forward, we just want to make a practical note here. Husbands, if you are lacking some game in speaking to your wife, in leading your wife, consider looking to Adonai as the quintessential groom that you are going to model your actions after. I promise you, your wife will thank you. The whole world will thank you for taking this bold step. We need less men who just want to look like a masculine man. And we need more men who want to look just like Adonai. So as we move forward in the law, we're going to take a look at how Adonai calls his shot regarding what he will do for his bride, who is national Israel.
1: Exodus 19.3 is where Adonai calls his shot for his bride. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, from the get go in Exodus 19, we want to tackle a misconception regarding this passage before we move forward. Have you fell prey to doubt for Israel and her ultimate marriage with the groom because of the if then statement that you see in verses 5 and 6? You know what we're talking about. If you obey me fully, then you will be my bride. Well, we'd like to clear this up for you right now before we move forward. The bride Israel has already at this point been made eternal and unconditional promises by Adonai himself. And we know that his word is true and will never fail or be renegotiated by him. He's already in a binding process with national Israel to obtain her as his bride. She has not yet obeyed Adonai fully up to this point, but she will. Israel's only hope and salvation is dependent on her perfection by Adonai. Man, doesn't that sound familiar? He will be faithful to her until the end, until she reaches her goal. And the groom and the bride, Israel, become one. Adonai will make sure of it because his
0: name and his word depend on it. You know, all too often we read over these passages without letting ourselves feel the passion in the scripture, if you catch our drift. Adonai is recounting the way that he is and always will keep his promise from Exodus 6. He wants Israel for himself. And he's decimating the competition that stands in his way. Do you see that in the scripture? Do you see that in the scripture? Israel was a vine taken out of Egypt who was holding her captive in slavery, and he says, I will take you out, and those who held you captive, I'm going to deal with severely. He's flexing on the enemy, and he's also flexing for his wife and saying, it's you and me, baby, until the very end. I will never let you go, and I will not let you belong to another. These great deliverances and promises were given to no other nation
1: than Israel. It is his will. It is his desire. It is what he wants and how he wants it. Can you see how ridiculous it is that ignorant men who have misunderstood the scriptures sought to play matchmaker for Adonai himself? Wow. Guys, if you take national Israel out of the picture, you are left trying to pick a bride for Adonai to marry. And we can tell you, he will have none of that. So that you understand fully what we are speaking about regarding the groom and the bride. We're going to fast forward, oh, about a millennium or so to Isaiah 54. So that you can see the continual steadfastness with which Adonai is the husband to national Israel. His
0: bride. And how this will never, ever, ever, ever change. Isaiah 54 And we're going to pick up in verse 4. As you're turning there, say National Israel. Remember, this is just a a short hop, skip, and a jump to the tune of a millennium or so. Are you in verse 4 of Isaiah 54? Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth. And the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. You can see that the bride has experienced fear. But she will ultimately not be ashamed. Someone say amen. The bride has been confounded, but she will ultimately not be disgraced. The bride has had some shame through her youth and been a reproach, but she will ultimately not remember these things anymore. Her husband, say her husband, her husband is the Lord of hosts. Her husband calls himself the Holy One of Israel Her husband is the God of the whole earth, and yet he has chosen national Israel and will never, say never, never abandon her. Her husband, who is she? National Israel. Her husband will fully redeem her and will remain steadfast to her until she is perfected and is one together with him. He will work until he can present his bride back to himself as spotless, blameless without wrinkle or blemish but holy and blameless now as good as verses four and five were verses six through ten
1: oh they become absolutely clear and you will not be able to miss it for the lord has called you like a wife deserted and grieved in spirit like a wife of youth when she is cast off says your god for a brief moment i deserted you But with great compassion, I will gather you. In overflowing anger, for a moment, Moment. I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. This passage and this language of Adonai used here makes national Israel his bride and his plan for her 100% non-negotiable. Discipline, difficulties, siftings, and trials cannot change this. They're temporary, no matter how long of a process that they are. Adonai will continue in his steadfast love and commitment toward her until the very end for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, loving and cherishing her and being faithful to her, even through his ultimate unification with her for all of eternity. Remember, this is a millennium after he made his promises in Exodus 6. That's a long time. But when did God make his promises to Noah that he would never flood the earth again? Maybe 2400 B.C.? Yeah, that promise still stands. How much more his
0: bride, church? We hope that your confidence in these truths is rock solid for the rest of your existence while in the temporary flesh that you've been given. And we're going to keep making sure that it remains as sure as the scriptures themselves. After all, we don't have to enumerate to you just how corrupted these truths have become in our day and time. You know that full well. Unfortunately, it's not just the writings of Paul that have been twisted and misconstrued through ignorance and misapplication of Scripture. This corruption of the entire plan of Adonai in his word and the character of Adonai himself has only grown over time. It's gotten out of hand and it's ridiculous, the misapplications. One of the most grievous examples of this corruption is trying to cherry, use cherry-picked passages of scripture to falsely illustrate that Adonai has permanently divorced his bride national Israel that he's gone back on his word his everlasting promises his steadfast commitment to her and has divorced her and started cheating on her with another bride who has also taken all her promises and claimed them for herself that is not the Lord we're going to share with you two of the most common cherry-picked passages that these selfish men have taken out of context in the worst ways possible. Before we show you the next slide, we want you to know if we only had Exodus to combat these corruptions, that's all we had was Exodus, it would be enough. It would be enough. But we had the entire counsel of the Word of God. In addition, In Adonai's sovereignty, we have the rest of these chapters of Isaiah and Jeremiah to give those who are temporarily weak the strength to see Adonai and his bride Israel the way that he sees them.
1: Next slide, please. Isaiah 50 verse 1 is one of the most commonly cherry-picked passages in all of the Word to prove that Adonai has permanently severed his ties with national Israel as his bride. Thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Now, if you cherry picked that one passage, from Isaiah 50 in verse 1, you could definitely come away with the wrong kind of idea, especially if you did not have the foundation from the beginning of the Tanakh until today and the plan of God for the future. Can you see that? Well, in the sovereignty of Adonai, chapter 50 doesn't just have one verse. The second passage on the screen is Isaiah 50, verse 2. Keep reading. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? Adonai is actually saying, if this happened, if my people were divorced from me, if my bride is permanently divorced, then that would uh, corrupt my character. It would see a shortened hand in my character. It would see that I cannot redeem or I have no power to deliver. And he's saying that cannot and will never happen or be true. Second most common, Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 8, the third passage on the screen. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet Her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Israel to the north, Judah to the south, this is including all 12 tribes. Well, Adonai must have permanently severed his everlasting covenant with his bride, national Israel, right? How about we go five verses later to Jeremiah 3, verse 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return Faithless Israel, declares the Lord. Listen up. I will not look on you in anger. For I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. The national destiny of Israel, all 12 tribes, is to be the bride of Adonai in the land of Israel. Listen this. Any time that she defiles the land, though, through her own defilement, then the land throws the people out as a form of discipline to ensure that her behavior can be corrected. And to ensure that she arrives at the eventual goal that God has irrevocably stated. The God that we serve is not a schizophrenic. The divorce of a portion of that particular generation of Israel does not abrogate Adonai's original foretold plan to redeem all of Israel. These are cycles of purification that will indeed culminate in the pure and spotless bride
0: that the groom has always been after from the beginning. The bride was actually divorced from the land of Israel for a time so that they could be disciplined by the Lord. Say disciplined. disciplined. Discipline is not divorce. But he would always and will always bring them back into the land. The man of Israel, the land of Israel, and the plan of Israel will always end up in the ultimate unity and completion. Now in a shock to theologians everywhere. God is proclaiming through the prophets that no part of the twelve tribes are or ever will be lost or forsaken. In fact, he will always call them back to himself. So that he can show them mercy, the culmination of that entire cycle being in the return after her final exodus. God will never be done with the ethnic nation of Israel because of the election and the eternal promises that he made. Men who do not understand this truth are prone to make enormous errors of interpretation. You can visit almost every prophet to see this truth. Just read Hosea chapter 2 for an additional reference if you don't believe us. Every prophet. Now, the Newer Testament is no different, but solidifies this truth throughout. National Israel are the ones that the phrase, those called not my people, you are my people, primarily refers to. It is quoted both in Hosea 2 about Israel and about Israel in the plain language, of the text, and again in Romans 9, to also mysteriously include Gentiles, but no, it's mystery. It's mysterious. There have always been dark moments in the process of producing the bride of Christ. That is, who? National, national. Israel. But Adonai will have a pure and spotless bride in national Israel, just as he promised from the beginning. No momentary rebuke or or generational chastisement abrogates the original truth. So now that
1: we have laid out the pattern thus far in the law and in the prophets, it's time to go to the writings together. We are revisiting Daniel 9 and the 77 slide because these are being spoken by Adonai, hear me, in the midst of one of these moments of chastisement. National Israel has been spit out of the land of Israel, And their behavior has not been very bridly, so to say. It's been so long in this state for them at this point, and things seem quite hopeless, except that they aren't, and they never are. Adonai's promises to his bride Israel are irrevocable and eternal. There are seven distinct items that Adonai speaks over his bride once again, reviving her hopeless state and assuring her once more that he has not forgotten her and will indeed have his perfected bride. The accomplishments of the 77s, a finish of transgression, an end to sin, complete atonement for wickedness, everlasting righteousness. Vision would be sealed up. Prophecy would be sealed up because they're not necessary anymore. And the most holy, whether that be the most holy place in the temple or the most holy being Messiah himself, would be anointed. These are infinitely important to us, saints. Remember, we are the Gentiles who have been mysteriously included in this plan somehow. And we have a job to do. We must get all of God's promises for national Israel firmly embedded into our souls, including these, so that we can join with Adonai the groom's ultimate goal for his bride, national Israel. We must be able to express the same kind of confidence that he does when he speaks to his bride. We must reflect his confidence when we speak to national Israel. You getting us on that one? When speaking about the group's Plan for his bride. These seven promises have never been in question and they never will be. Do you feel the same way as the groom does regarding these promises to national Israel? Now, if you do not, you are going to and you must hear us on this. We must advocate for the destiny of Israel before we speak to them about the peril that is still in her future.
0: I think Pastor Nick should read that last part portion one more time. Let's let it sink in. You got it, Pastor. We must advocate for the destiny
1: of Israel before we speak to them about the peril that is still
0: in her future. We advocate for their destiny before we speak about their peril. This is why we must learn the foundational truths of the Scripture that are clearly stated and have it work through every part of our being. That brings us to a good question. You guys ready for a question this morning? Do you love King Jesus? Yes. We know that you do. No one's contesting that or questioning that. But we need to say that it is not possible... For you to have love for the groom of Israel without having love for his bride. It is not possible to have love for the groom of Israel and not have love for his bride. You cannot have love for God without protecting what he loves. This is the truth that has to permeate every fabric of our being. And it must be the immovable conviction that fuels our resolve to stand with his bride through whatever forces come from the gates of hell. The great groom of Israel has promised his bride in Exodus 6 that he would take her out. That he would set her free. He would redeem her and take national Israel to be with him forever. This was an exclusive covenant that he made with no other nation, and it cannot and will not ever be renegotiated. But that brings up another question. Where exactly do we, Gentiles, the other nations, come in? And what is our relationship to the groom and to the bride? It's a good question that actually leads us to the title of today's sermon. The title of today's sermon is The Four Cups of Mystery, The Four Cups of Mystery. In order to
1: further unpack this mystery, we're going to build on what pastors Wade and Judah laid out last Sunday and begin by showing you a slide from the book of Colossians. You've heard about the mystery revealed in Ephesians, of course. But have you heard about the revelations of the mystery revealed in the book of Colossians? I don't know if you have. The mystery in Colossians. Colossians 1.26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. 1.27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Two, two, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And finally, Colossians 4.3, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, To declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison. As you look at this slide with four occurrences of this mystery, it is probably not surprising to you that there are also four chapters in Colossians. And these four chapters reflect four great truths regarding this mystery of Gentile inclusion and Gentile participation. So in light of this, we are going to highlight four passages from the book of Colossians, one from each chapter, that are going to help you with your understanding of the mystery that is being revealed to you in a more complete way. We're going to start in the first chapter together, and Pastor Parsons is going to start in Colossians 1 verse 15. As you're
0: turning there, say, the four cups of mystery. The clear reading of this text clears up a lot of questions for us. The body of Jesus, the groom, is equated to the church here. The church is foundationally Israeli in every way. Just think back to the 12 fire-validated Jewish apostles. Think back to Pentecost. Think about the location of the church in Jerusalem. And think about the first nine chapters of the book of Acts, which involve only the Jewish people. The mystery is, and has always been, Gentile inclusion. And that Gentile inclusion is not through our current inclusion into Israel, who is the bride. It is not through Israel, the bride, but through our union with the groom, Jesus Christ. On that, let's pick back up in verse 21. Gentile inclusion is through our union with
1: the groom. Jesus Christ. We're going to show you that irrevocably in the book of Colossians. Before we do, verse 21 is built on this concept. And remember, this church in Colossae is at least a predominantly Gentile church, if not all Gentiles. So this is a special book for us, right? Yeah. One of the only ones. Verse 21, and you, that's you Gentiles right there who were once alienated and hostile in mind. Yeah, that's a good connection. You can be sure that it's Gentiles because we're talking about Gentile thinking here, like we did in Ephesians. Doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Yeah, that's right. He's not talking about being reconciled in the bride at all. He says, you Gentiles were hostile in your thinking, But now you have been reconciled in the body of Messiah, in the flesh of Messiah by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is predominantly Gentile group who was also struggling in their understanding of the plan of God and their place in the plan. Got some camaraderie with these guys here. Paul is working to make this abundantly clear for the Colossians. He does not say that their participation in reconciliation is through their inclusion with Israel the bride. He makes it Peshat for them and for us that their inclusion is through the body of Christ the groom. You are reconciled and included in the plan of God by becoming his body on the earth, knowing what he knows, understanding his plan, and carrying out... Here and
0: now, just as he would. So as we move to the second chapter, we're going to work through it with a slide that will help you see and understand Paul's verbiage. And the ultimate takeaway from his repetition. And I already know you guys are going to help me out with this. Verbiage of Colossians 2, 6-15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Who is the head of all rule and authority in him. Also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the power, powerful working of God. Who raised him from the dead. And you... Paul is committed to the clear communication of the gospel to these faithful Gentile believers at Colossae. If chapter 1 was not enough to elucidate the position of the Gentiles to Messiah the groom as being in him, he goes on here in chapter 2 to explicitly make the point that their inclusion is what? In him once again. In just 10 verses... He says, in him or with him nine times. Some might find that to be overkill. But anyone who has had children or taught anyone a new concept knows that repetition is the key to building lasting fundamentals. In fact, Paul uses the phrase, In Christ, in Christos, no less than 86 times through his Newer Testament writings to the churches. Paul is laying out the foundational understanding of the gospel, much like he did for the Ephesians. This was to make sure that the new Gentile believers find their identity in Christ, in Christos, and are rooted and built up in him. A failure to grasp this understanding would produce an ignorance crisis. Or said another way, it would produce an identity crisis for the Gentiles, and it might lead them subject to reinterpreting their relationship to the groom to mean something along the lines that we, meaning the Gentiles, must be the bride. But thankfully, we have not seen that happen, right? You know that we're being facetious, but you can see unless we read the scripture, what it is saying about us Gentiles being in him, then we're left to come to some other conclusion that's not founded in the scripture. But in the name of Jesus, he is leading us and he's teaching us that our relationship to the bride, Israel, is only through him, Christ, the Messiah, the groom.
1: Ready for our next chapter?
0: This next chapter is going to be revelatory for a lot of people in
1: the room. We're going to start in the first verse of Colossians 3. It says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If then you have been raised with Christ, this chapter starts with, The importance of Paul's words at the beginning of chapter 3 could not be overstated. The entire section of Colossians is framed with the understanding. The understanding that yes, yes, you have been raised with Christ. But you have also not physically been raised with Christ yet. Have you physically been raised with Christ yet, church? Raise your hand if that's true. Now, yeah, if, if COVID and after has been any evidence of that, I don't know what is. Church, you are living in his resurrection. This is true. And you're not living in the completion of his resurrection just yet. We are called to know the end of the matter from the beginning, just like our groom does because we are in him, so that we can faithfully point to the culmination of how things will be at the completion of his plan. To say that another way, you've been raised from your previous sinful wickedness by the resurrection power of Christ, but you have not been raised by Christ in the way that you will literally and physically be on the day of his return. Paul is speaking as a man who knows the end from the beginning and credits us with things that we are in fact destined for but have not yet become a reality on the earth. With that in mind, because the whole chapter speaks this way, let's move to verse 11 together. We're going to help you understand Paul's words as he articulates what will be ultimately fulfilled at the wedding At the wedding, say
0: at the wedding. At the wedding. At the wedding of the groom and the bride. Verse 11. Here there is not Greek. Here there is not Greek and Jew. Circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. We are working for Christ to be all in all, when the groom will be one with his bride, and when we Gentiles will be completely unified together with that glorious marriage as members of the groom's body, but we are not yet living in the full reality of this promise. In the same way, in the completion of God's plan, there will no longer be Greek and Jew at the completion of his plan. There will no longer be Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, because Christ will be all and in all. Galatians 3:27 and 28 is a perfect parallel passage to Colossians 3:11. I'm going to read it to you. It says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ. Have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. Uh For you are all one in Christ. Hmm. In these times that we're living in and working for Christ right now, we are still working to put on Christ more fully. But we are not perfected in him yet. There is still Jew and Greek right? But the time is coming when we who are in Christ will all become one, but that time is yet to come. There's also currently slave and free, right? If not, Paul would not address slaves and masters like he did a few verses later in Colossians, right? What about you and your wife in your marriage? The time is coming when men and women will neither be married nor given over to marriage, as Jesus speaks about in Matthew 22 and Luke 20, but he does so when speaking about the resurrection that is to come. If um, there's neither male nor female now, well, we, we really don't have to get into the ergonomics of that together with you this morning. Or do we? Hey, I can talk about medicine and anatomy all day. (laughs) We know that you got it. So to put it succinctly, if there were currently no longer a distinction between Jews and Gentiles and their roles regarding the plan of God, then you would also have to give up the intimacy that you enjoy with your wife. I hope you men are getting us here, but today... Is not that day. We're going to keep moving forward. Help us out, Pastor Nick. I love my wife. Let's move to Colossians 4.
1: Colossians 4, verse 2 is where we will start. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Remember, some of the writings of Paul contain things that are quite hard to understand. In his final discourse to the Colossians, Paul gives them actionable steps on how to move forward after having their hearts and minds open to the mystery of their inclusion in Christ. Paul, who's of course a Jew, calls for these Gentiles in Colossae to continue in steadfast prayer for him and his companions and to ask the groom of Israel to open doors for them to proclaim this mystery in every nation. It was on account of this mystery that Paul endured imprisonment, sleepless nights, and a barrage of persecution. But did you catch verse 4? Paul is not looking at his own glory here. His greatest desire was that he would make this mystery clear. This is the attitude that your pastors are taking up and we ask that you continue in prayer for us so that the full gospel message, the marriage of Jesus and his bride, National Israel, and our mysterious inclusion in him might become clear in every nation until it reaches Jerusalem. In turn, We
0: also commit to pray for you guys, because you guys are going to need it. And we are very serious about taking Colossians 4 and asking you to pray for us, and in turn, us praying for you. Can we say, these things are difficult to preach and teach on, that your pastors and elders feel the weight of responsibility to handle this revelation with great care, and to make sure that we communicate it clearly. This is exactly what Paul is saying to this Gentile church in Colossus. He's not saying, I hope that you and your feudal thinking will figure it out. He's looking at them in humility and saying, I have received something that is precious. And my only hope is that you would ask that the Lord of all creation help me communicate it clearly to you because it is the only way to salvation. And if you want to stand in glory on that great day, you must know how to relate to the groom of Israel. And he's, he's adamant about it. And can we tell you, we, we have the same attitude. We want to communicate these things clearly to you. We want to answer your questions. We want to go further in depth and study. Because we don't want to bring disgrace to our king by misapplying his scripture. And it is sobering. That's why we're being deliberate this morning. It's why we're choosing every single word. I was joking with Pastor Wade this morning that I feel like my own native tongue, English, if you could even call it that, betrays me. Because worked into my own speech patterns, it negates things that I'm trying to communicate about the scripture. But it's so ingrained, meaning something well, I still don't possess the, w- the right way to say it to communicate it clearly. Now, maybe you haven't thought that deeply about teaching these concepts But open up your Bible and begin to read and share it with your wife. Share it with your children and then write it down and see if it actually makes sense when you read it out. How many times have you said, oh, we are the church, we are the bride, and you mean well. You're not saying that you're going to replace Israel. You're not saying that anything's been changed, but it's exactly what came out of your mouth. How do you expect someone who does not have the revelation you have to reinterpret what you say, apply it to their understanding, and then produce good fruit. This is the weight that is setting on us, and we we sincerely mean it. Pray that the Lord of all creation would open the eyes of our heart, that we would gain understanding, just like the Psalms say, that it would make the simple wise, and he would anoint our mouths to speak clearly exactly the revelation that he's given to us. But let's move forward because we have another slide for you, one that gives you a clear linear progression through the pattern of Colossians and the mystery that is now becoming even more clear to you. Take a look at this slide with us, the clear linear pattern of the mystery in Colossians. In chapter 1, Paul is teaching this predominantly or all Gentile church about the relationship between the church and the body of the group. In Colossians 2, he teaches them and informs them about the deeds that we participate in through the body of who? The groom. And in chapter 3, he speaks about the ultimate outcome of what we will be subsequent to the coming wedding of the groom and the bride. And then in chapter 4, he asks them to pray for him. He highlights the prayer and the action that is necessary to make this mystery known throughout the entire world. Did you learn something about Colossians this morning? Now that you can see it, now that it's becoming even more clear to you, now, Pastor Nick, we can turn to Revelation 19 together. Now as we turn to this chapter of a book whose name says all about what we need, about what is needed to understand it, Know that this particular chapter is forecasting the wedding supper of the Lamb. When the groom, Jesus, returns and finally marries his bride, National Israel, in all of her glory. So, Revelation 19 is forecasting the wedding
1: supper of the Lamb. Now, what, what is Revelation 19 forecasting?
0: Wedding supper.
1: That is the point Of Revelation 19, but in God's sovereignty, he includes some details in it that are going to be revelatory to the picture that you see about the culmination of the ages. Revelation 19, 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty We want to help you understand what makes up this great multitude from verse 6. I'm going to read verse 9 from Revelation chapter 7 to you, which actually defines for us who the great multitude is made up of. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Who's the bride, church? National National Israel is the bride. And Revelation chapter 19 is about the marriage and the wedding supper of the groom to the bride. Don't forget that. That is the point of this chapter. But standing there in the midst of this wedding and wedding celebration, to celebrate this union is an invited remnant from every nation. They're there celebrating at the wedding and this wedding supper that is to come. And what in the world are these nations saying?
0: Let's get verse 7. They are saying, let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. You heard it last Sunday. You heard it today. God has always had one bride. And it is national Israel. You do not replace or redefine who the bride is. Not in Exodus 6. Not in Exodus 19, not in Isaiah 54, not in Daniel 9, not in the entire book of Colossians. What Adonai has spoken about the nation of Israel has never and never, has never and never will be changed. What he says stands for all eternity. You've all been waiting this whole week for us to tell you about you, your role. You are those who are blessed to be invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Why, though? Because you were attached to the groom. You are in the body of Christ, the body of the groom. And you are at the wedding because you have been reconciled to the groom. You are not the bride, but you will still have been invited to the wedding supper As who? As the wedding party. Now praise God that you have been blessed to be invited as members of the groom's body and will be there for the culmination of the ages. When you read Revelation 19, you now know what your position will be at the culmination of the ages when you see the bride coming, when you see your king knowing that you stand in the groom's body and will be made one with her.
1: Do you remember Colossians 1.18 from earlier? And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. Only those who are in him, who are in the body of the groom, will be invited to this. We were alienated and would have remained alienated even to this point, but we have been reconciled through the body of Christ back to himself. Verse 21 in Colossians 1, and you who once were alienated, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, has now been reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Reconciled by his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. When Jesus marries Israel and we're all there to celebrate, You and the rest of the Gentiles who are part of the body of Christ become co-heirs with everything that was promised to Israel. This is because, because you are part of the groom's body. How undeserving are we of that kind of blessing? We want you to remember, the wedding supper that we just read about has not even happened yet. This means... That there is still a necessary distinction required between national Israel as the bride and the other nations that are standing there. If the distinction was not required anymore right now, then the future of Revelation 19 and what is being talked about, it's, it's, it's a moot point. Why are we talking about the bride and why are we talking about men and women of every nation, every tribe, every tongue that wouldn't be important if these borders were completely severed? But all rejoice at the bride of national Israel making herself ready and all participate in the wedding supper together. We Gentiles all have credited statuses that remain until the culmination of the plan in Revelation 19, the wedding and the wedding supper, at which time the groom, the bride, and the mysterious Gentile inclusions will all be unified and heirs together in Adonai's glorious plan. All will be reconciled to the groom and through the groom at this point in time. This reconciliation of all is beautiful in every way and in no way changes the fact that the promised bride is the nation of Israel. We are going to end our time together in Jesus' own words as he reemphasizes the original and the current plan for his bride, national Israel. And we are going
0: to do it from a seemingly unlikely place. You're going to want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. And when you're there, we're going to pick up in verse 26. When you get there, say, the four cups of mystery. Matthew 26, verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. These last few moments with these Jewish apostles before Jesus' death, they were exceedingly special. Jesus knew just how special they were and the chaos that would ensue when they saw his body pierced and broken. And he wanted to make... One final point before his death. So he held up bread and he broke it. And he gave it to them. And he told them that the bread was a symbol of his body that would be broken for them. The groom. The groom of Israel was giving them strength and courage. That the promises of Adonai would once again look as though they would not come about. And so he was teaching them that once more that the body of the groom would be broken so that Adonai's ultimate plan would indeed continue until the very end. This bread represents the groom. Verse 27,
1: and he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So after the bread, he held out the cup one last time during his time on earth. You can hear the commitment to redeem his people from bondage as Jesus proclaims, this is the blood of the covenant. Jesus is the groom of national Israel. And the groom is reminding his bride of the covenant that he made with her from the very beginning all the way back in Exodus chapter 6. This cup of the fruit of the vine represents the future perfection of national Israel. The very vine from Psalm 80 verse 8. The bride
0: of the groom. Let's pick up in verse 29. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The bread is the groom, and the fruit of the vine is a perfected national Israel. Remember the words of Psalm 80, verse 8, that we read to you earlier. You have brought a vine, that is Israel, out of Egypt. You drove out the heathen nations. And planted it in Canaan. When the Jewish groom held up the bread and the cup of the fruit of the vine. He confirmed Adonai's covenant with his bride once again. And he reaffirmed the whole counsel of the word of God. And confirmed Adonai's plan that he has been working to perfect from the very beginning. Since the day that he made the promises. When these Jewish men took communion together. It was for the purpose of remembering, say remembering, church. Remembering that the groom would indeed return for his bride. And she would be protected, perfected and brought to complete unity together with him.
1: Communion is all about remembering that the groom is going to come back for his bride. The groom is going to come back for national Israel. And they will indeed be one. Remember, we are part of and included in his body. In the body of the groom. Which means that it is incumbent upon us and our very job to commit to this future reality in our role in bringing it about. Jesus is promising Israel here that he will come back for his bride. No matter what he had to endure to redeem her. And the cost was great. And it's incumbent on us to reflect his heart because our salvation and our everything is in his body. Consider 1 Corinthians 11. With eyes that are now opened. This is verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of profaning the body and the blood of the Lord. The unworthy manner is not what you think it is. The unworthy manner is not fully and wholeheartedly committed to the union of Messiah, the groom, and the national Israel, the bride. We are going to take communion together today, church. We are going to get our hearts right and make a right commitment to communion. Many of you have been taking communion for decades, hundreds and thousands of times, and have not understood what it actually means. But we are going to get our hearts right with a renewed understanding together this morning. Worship team, can you come up here? You guys can stand with us for our last slide. Come down with you because I want to look in your eyes. I've taken communion hundreds of times baptized as an infant, baptized in middle school, baptized out of college. Man, I got baptized more than any of you guys. I've taken communion hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times throughout my life, but when I read Colossians 11, or corinthians 11 and i see unworthy manner i've misinterpreted that passage and thought that it just meant you need to think about jesus when you take communion you need to have your mind right before the lord you need to be in a pure state of body mind and soul and that is not at all what it means when you hold that bread when you drink that cup You're doing exactly what Messiah did before he was nailed to the cross and crucified, before he gave up the ultimate sacrifice of his life to ensure that his bride, National Israel, would reach her goal. When we take communion, taking it in an unworthy manner means that you're taking the bread and you're drinking the cup and you're doing it without considering the sacrifice of what is required of you to make sure that the bride of Christ reaches her ultimate goal with the groom. This morning, if you need some time to repent, you're going to be able to do that. But when that time is done and your heart is right, I'm going to ask you to go grab the elements of communion. Before we do, I want you to know what you are committing yourself to. This is our last slide. Exodus 6, 6 through 8, and Matthew 26, 26 through 29. I will bring you out, says the groom. I will free you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be with me. Do you have the same heart as the groom does? you have the same commitments that the groom does. Communion is and has always been our commitment to performing our role in ensuring that these four cups happen for both the groom and the bride. Speaking to enter into worship, go back over this commitment as you hold the elements, but get your hearts right and understand the covenant that you are actually entering into and know and understand that it is only in the body of the groom that you are included at all in this plan. Well, saints, we're in a pretty weighty spot together. holding more of the weight of responsibility of the groom on our shoulders. You can feel the weight of that responsibility, but you can also feel the heightened level of Shalom. You can also feel that you are close to his heart, maybe closer than you've ever been. wanna help you, help you understand what you're committing to in even greater fashion. We're going to put our last slide back up. Those four cups are exactly what the groom says to the bride. It's his promise. Those four cups, those four promises. Mysteriously, our plan is also wrapped up in those. We're in him. We get to see what his goals are. And we also get the privilege of participating to make sure that they come about. Hold up that bread with me. Jesus, I am committing to bring out your bride. Jesus, I am committing to do whatever it takes to free them. Jesus, I am committing to do whatever it takes to make sure that she is fully redeemed as one nation with you. And Jesus, I am making sure that you will be able to take your bride to be with you forever and ever and ever. And I will do whatever it takes to make sure that that happens. If you not just agree with that, but you're willing to lay down your life for it like he did, take the bread. Jesus said, he said, I won't drink of this last cup till I return again in the glory of my kingdom. We're not just waiting for that completion. He extended the cup to his bride and said, I'm not going to drink again of this until I come back for you. And you're about to see the full extent of what I am willing to do, the sacrifice that I am willing to make to ensure that that happens. When we take this, we're standing with the groom in full confidence that he will come back and he will extend that last cup to his bride and they will enjoy it on their wedding day in complete unity. And we will be that wedding party that looks on and remembers the sacrifice that we gave for that wedding to occur. And we will celebrate, saints. We will celebrate like we've never celebrated because we played a role to make that happen. This is your commitment, then drink this cup. We're going to go back into worship, thinking about Revelation chapter 19 thinking about that great celebration thinking about what we have an opportunity to participate in in the future and we're going to do a little celebrating of our own knowing what is to come knowing our job in it but just like you are already perfect in Christ we're going to celebrate that that is and will be what we're participating in in the future and we are sure of it church raise your hands and let's party together